Hey, this is Elizabeth of Austin Enneagram, and today I'm doing Type 7 again in Helen Palmer's book with my mom. We were driving up to go to my daughter's graduation in New York City, and we always stop with my to see my parents in Jackson, Mississippi on our way up. And so it was a an opportunity to interview my mom in her in her house. And I think it's pretty special. I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to sit down with her and interview her. And I think it's something that will I'll be so glad I have. Um, also, I turned my noise gate off on... I recorded in GarageBand and I turned my noise gate off and on a couple of times. So the sound shifts in and out a little bit. The audio on this is can sound a little shifty, but hopefully it's not too distracting. Anyway, hopefully you enjoy this chat with my mother. So she, right out of the gate in the chapter, talks about five, sixes, and sevens, right? Uh, represent three different strategies for dealing with childhood fear. So that's the head triad, right? Sixes at the core fear point over-prepare by vigilantly scanning the environment and fives withdraw from whatever makes them afraid. Sevens, looking not at all concerned, move toward people in an attempt to charm and disarm with pleasantry. Faced with a frightening early life, seven children diffused their fear by escaping into the limitless possibilities of imagination. Do you feel like you had a frightening early life? I do not. Meet, I do not remember being fearful, but I do right. remember. I do remember being really joyful, and I do remember that being just a natural thing to do. But more than that, I remember mostly that I had a huge imagination. Yeah. And it saved me from a lot of, I guess, any kind of worry or anything that was negative. I never was a worrier or didn't have a lot of negative feelings and I always could imagine the best. Mm -hmm. So I think that helped me have joy. But I think I was born with joy. I don't think I manufactured that. I think I was born with it. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering like, I mean, you know how in my interview with Rachel, she said it took her 50 years to realize that she had been afraid as a child and that she had been, now that she let her children into the bed and when they were afraid, she realized that she had a lot of compassion for the little girl that was afraid, that never got comforted. So you don't resonate like that doesn't resonate with you at all that you don't have any memories of being afraid as a little girl i do not i know that that sounds unusual but i don't ever remember having a whole lot to worry about or i don't ever remember fearful but you know when i told suzanne that i never had any fear she said oh yes you have and i said no i hadn't and she said you are just so afraid that you're not going to have enough to do tomorrow and so I never thought about having a lot to do as being something that I might be worried about. I wouldn't like not to have, I, did, I, don't, I would never have thought of that as a fear. But she pointed out that it was really a fear. Yeah. Um, 
I was never afraid or scared at night. You know, I wasn't afraid. Or, so that's why I have a little trouble with the word fear. No, you've always not liked it. And you don't like people who are afraid. It makes you mad. I'm just always so surprised. Yeah. Yeah. That so many of my friends so afraid to live in Jackson, and they, they imagine all this thing's going to happen to them. And we're 80 years old, and nothing's ever happened to us. Right. So I don't know. I can't deal. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. I agree. I mean, I, I think I inherited that from you just naturally. So I appreciate it because I'm. I, I mean, I don't really see the point in it. It doesn't help. It does. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. So, so. why dwell on it? Right. Um, okay. Sevens do not broadcast anxiety. They do not look afraid. They tend to be lighthearted and sunny, often addicted to planning and play. Their core of paranoia, six, does not surface as long as thinking can be channeled into visionary plans of future success. This is the point of Peter Pan, the eternal child. This is also the point of Narcissus, the youth who fell in love with the image of his own face reflected in a pool. I remember, I, rem I think I do really good with playing and planning, and yeah. I do adore that. And I remember when we were, when Henry was a little boy, mm -hmm. he would call me, as soon as I got there to Austin, he would call me in his room, and he would tell me every toy and what it meant to him. Mm -hmm. And I would stay in there for hours playing with Henry, and we got so close because I went into his world and George always said, it's because I still had a big child in me. Yeah. And it was so easy for me. But then later in life, George would say, I wish Henry was as close to me as he was to you. And I said, well, you didn't go into his world when he was a little boy. And I did. And that made all the difference in the world with my connection with Henry, a little boy. Because, you know, I, 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 definitely, in, I definitely identify with girls and can always be with girls, but I didn't know about all his little animals mm -hmm. and all his little trucks and why they were so important. And mm -hmm. I love watching him play with them. And yeah. so I love, I like And also, I mean, I have to say, like in situations like that, aggressive numbers understand that they're responsible for, for the relationship and like what it is. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think withdrawing numbers like four, fives, and nines forget that they're responsible for the relationship and they kind of forget that there's something they could actually do to have agency in the relationship and to create something. And as Suzanne would say, that it doesn't occur to them. But then they kind of wake up out of their stupor and look around and see, like dad as a nine sees you having this with Henry. And he's like, why don't I have it? Well, you, you don't just have things. You, you make them. You build them, you know. And I think that withdrawers are, are perplexed by that sometimes, you know. Yeah, I think you're right. It doesn't ever occur to them. To, but, to I mean, it's strange. It's kind of funny. <clears throat> it's strange. It's strange to but, me. But I also, about the child part in me, I remember even when I was 60, I thought, wonder when I'm going to grow up and be a, a lady. Because yeah. I always felt young at heart and lighthearted. I guess that's what lighthearted is. I always yeah. felt young. 
-hmm. And I really never did feel like I'd grown up to be a lady until I got cancer. And then I realized I must be a lady. (laughs) But, I mean, it took something huge for me to get out of my childless, my way of liking to pretend like I was still young at heart. Yeah, yeah. She talks about how everybody needs a little healthy narcissism. We all need to recognize our unique value and worth. Difficulty arises only when we become so convinced of our special value that we fail to hear the suggestions of those who mirror back the objective truth. Epicures are convinced of their own excellence and they seek environments and people who will support their worth. They have sensitive taste and want to sample the best that life can offer. Sevens like to keep up their spirits. They want adventure and to keep their expectations high. There is a chemistry for peak experience, as if champagne, not blood, were running through their veins. And that's, as you heard, Rachel's favorite line. I identify with that because I I don't know that I would say it was narcissism. For me, it is, I think, for me, sevens love being a seven. They love yeah. who they are. They like having the spirit. They like having energy. So we like ourselves so much, and I don't know if it comes across arrogant or what, but we're real happy to be who we are. Right. And, you, yeah, you don't really question who you are. You just kind of are. Do not. Yeah. You just do it. Right. Yeah. It's pretty strong, so we don't don't have to say, well, who am I? It's pretty right. obvious I'm an energetic, fun-loving, happy, joyful person. So, right. It's pretty obvious. It kind of is paramount. I mean, it, you right. know, it's not shy. Right. But do you feel? Do you re- resonate with this person? Of like, where they kind of surround themselves with people who um, they fail to hear the suggestions of those who mirror back truth. I don't think we're good listeners. I know we're not good listeners. Mm -hmm. So, um, I do surround myself with people, and I do like to know their their truth. I like truth maybe more than anything in life. So, I don't really understand how that, I don't understand what what does mirror back, tell me what you think she's saying. I think to say your mirror back, mirroring back, it's like someone in your life who's, holding up a mirror and kind of showing you who you are or telling you who you are or explaining how you're coming across or offering a different point of view from your own. And I just think in general, sevens don't want to hear that. They don't, sevens don't want to hear a different point of view from their own. And they don't, and I would say you love truth, but I think you love truth that you already believe is truth. If someone tells you a truth that you don't think is true, then it's just not truth. Well, I'm open for suggestions. I think especially older. The older I get, I'm better. And I think I'm a little better listener, still not great. But I think, uh, I do think I surround, I like being with people that that show me who I am. I mean, I think I like that. I like yeah. Yeah, you like people to kind of question what you're up to and uh, kind of. I don't know if questions are right. I mean, I, I mean, I enjoy. I I think because I'm aggressive, I don't think about the other two thirds of the p- 
people who are not. So I, I know Suzanne says we should get up every morning and say, how are we coming across to these people that are slower than us? <laughs> and I don't do that enough. So mm-hmm. I know I feel like a bulldog dozer going over people a lot. So right. I think that's why, you know, I guess I don't, that, I mean, that's all has to do with listening and me being too fast and them being too slow. And our pace is not the same. So the buoyancy of a belief in life's opportunities. Do you, do you like that phrase? The buoyancy of a belief in life's opportunities. I love the word buoyancy. Isn't that great? That's a seven number. It's a good word for sevens. Yeah. Is greatly <clears throat> enhanced by the habit of keeping multiple options open and making commitments with backup plans. Commitment is always buffered with backups. Um, I feel like I have um, I have a lot of seven friends, and my biggest beef probably with them is that they're unreliable. And I've never th- found you to be unreliable. I think uh, in the third grade. My mother, my teacher told my mother that I was the most dependable person in the class. Yeah, and she was going to let me be present. Yeah, and she was going to let me be present at the school store. So I remember by the time I was sixth grade, I was head of the whole sixth grade. I mean, the elementary school store where people came and bought things. So I always, maybe because that woman thought I was so dependable, I felt like I needed to hold that up. I've never not wanted to be do what I said I was going to do or be on time or do what somebody needed me to do. Right. I feel like I, maybe I was born with that. Maybe that's not a seven, but it was something I always wanted to do. I mean, I know that when, like, when I was coming along and you were running errands, like you would do six things that would have taken I would have done two and you would do like six things you're like before we get to the manicure or whatever I'm gonna do these six things and you would just go blaring and get it all done and it would be like intense but you would get it all done and um so you definitely pack a lot of things in I pack way too much in probably but I get a lot done but you get a lot done and I'm I'm usually not late I don't think never late. Never late. And um, so, so f- my experience with sevens is that all of this comes from wanting to be free. So, like, what is, where do you think that plays <laughs> out for you? Like, how do you stay free? How do, what feels free to you? Uh, I think. I think I've heard a lot of people say to me, a lot of people in all kind of walks of life, serious places and unserious places, they say, you know, there's no way to say no to you. That's true. Like you can't. And, and I mean, that's I, true of all seven. Yeah. And I don't. No. I, I. You know. I never realized that was it. But maybe it's the. Uh, I want the freedom so bad that I'm so strong with what I suggest that they do or hope that they do. Maybe. Maybe I'm strong and even more aggressive when I say something to somebody and they realize they can't say no because I, I don't want the, I don't, I guess I don't want failure, but I mean, 
I didn't right. realize that, but everybody says that about me. No, I can't say no to you. I've like learned over the years. Just I don't ever say no to a seven at all. I just nod and and go on and do what you want to do. Right. Right. But it <clears throat> took me a really long time to figure that out. And Rachel kind of helped me figure that out because if I say no to her, she just gears up. Uh, I, 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 I'm trying to think about it. I've never felt a problem with feeling free. I never had a controlling parent, and my husband's not controlling. So I've always felt I could do what I wanted to do or say what I wanted to say. I've always felt free. But when I see people... So what is it? What it, have you ever noticed when you didn't? Or, like, do you think what, like... Does someone saying no to you feel like not, not being free? Yes. Maybe, prob- maybe. Yeah. And does somebody not doing what you want to do feels not free? I guess so. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have ever thought to put the words together, but mm-hmm. probably so. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so a it lot, must- in a lot of ways, I mean, like, like I used to, I mean, maybe we can edit this out if you don't like me saying this, but like I used to say I wanted to go get bring your parents back to life and say like what on earth were y'all doing because like i don't think you ever i don't think they ever said no to you i don't think they ever restricted you in any way or told you you shouldn't do something or i don't mean i don't know like i feel my impression is that you are a seven that has been unedited your entire life so your your parents kind of let you do whatever you want, and yes. so you did whatever you wanted. Yeah, they and did. And then you went to college and did whatever you wanted, and then you met a man when you are 20, you married when you are 20, to a man who let you do whatever you wanted. Right. And so you are just unfettered. You are completely unfettered. And so when someone does try to stop you or doesn't agree with you, it, it, it's like... Shocking. It, yes, it's shocking. And shocking. Your, and your response to it is... is is intense because you haven't been stopped ever before right and so and I still hadn't been <laughs> I, I know I know and so <laughs> it's wild it's wild because most people feel they've been stopped a lot in their right life. right mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I must be the most free person in the world but <laughs> I, <laughs> but I mean it's interesting that you do it a different way you don't do it from being unreliable or being late or being or not doing what you said. You don't do it. You're different from most sevens in that you're reliable in all those ways. It's just that you're kind of getting your way, usually. Right? I think, you know, you can say getting your way. I just think always I have real good ideas. <laughs> now, I've always said you do a, have good ideas, and, but I've but always sometimes you know they're not always good ideas. They're not the only idea. They're not the only idea. That's, that's it. A, that's maybe a better and way to put and it. and a lot of times when people <laughs> ask my opinion, I'll say, "Well, this is what I think," but you don't have to. I, I, but see, yeah, I don't. You've said that to me my whole life, and I don't think I don't believe you because, like, you've always said, "Well, I, I just." My mother was a certain way, and I didn't want to be like her, so I just did whatever the heck I wanted. And I don't expect you to be like me at all. But see, I think you do expect me to be like no, you. No, no, I never did. Well, I mean, I might have been during the teenagers. There's common. There are the ways in which I was not like you was com- You know, you noticed it and you talked about it, and you had some issues with it, and so 
that to me that it felt like I'm just I'm wondering like an unfettered seven who then has children I'm sure it's hard to have them be how you don't want them to be you know it's probably very, I think it's particularly hard for sevens and eights probably well, I, children who don't behave they, the way they want them to. Well, I think that would be true for any parent, but... No, I don't think so. Not that. I think all parents have their issues. I think parenting is hard, period. Right. But I think different numbers on the Enneagram have different mm-hmm. things that are harder <clears throat> for them. Well, I, I, I certainly didn't know the Enneagram when y'all were little, and I'm sorry I didn't, but I think one thing I knew, I knew that you had a different temperament than we did. And I knew you were slower than we were. And and I knew when you said, I don't want to go buy another pair of black pants. I don't want to go shopping. I think we shouldn't do that. We've already done enough today. I had a family meeting, and I said, Elizabeth is better at what we should do and what we shouldn't do than me. I try to pack too much in, so we need to listen to Elizabeth. So from when you were like even six and seven, and we were all older than you, and you were the baby, I said we need to listen to Elizabeth. She said we've done it enough, or we don't need to go there, or we've had enough, we need to go home, we need to listen to her. And (laughs) for some reason, I had a a genius insight early. Mm -hmm. You might, did you never feel that I, I, uh, I admired your limits? Hmm. Oh, about timing and what we should do. Do you ever remember that I let you be the the hero in the family in that? Hero in the family. I mean, um, I believe that was your strength, and that you offered that to the family, and we needed to hear it. We all were doing too much. Yeah, I and don't moving know. Too fast. I mean, I hear what you're saying. Um, you were not aware of it. I mean, I can't say that I was aware of it. Um, I believe you, and I I think that you probably realize that you were smarter you, you were listening to me probably in ways that I don't even realize but um well, I mean, that was the first time I realized I moved faster than everybody else it took you to come along to make me realize that <laughs> super, super <clears throat> slow super no slow. not no you just were calmer and more relaxed and didn't feel urgency like I did yeah. I had a sense of urgency. And it's about. funny, you know, most people, I think if you, if like my friends were sitting here, they would say that I move too fast and I do uh, do all these things quickly and decisively and they would think it was super funny that you think I'm slow. In other words, you're thinking I'm slow says a lot about how fast you are. Well, maybe slow on the right world. I just think you knew. No, no. I mean, I know like every morning I would drink coffee and I would just sit there. And obviously there are no iPhones. There's no nothing. I'm just sitting there drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. And you were baffled every single morning that I was just sitting there drinking coffee. Right. You thought that was mental. I was baffled that you sat. I mean, for me, a seven when they wake up, it's time to go. Right. Move fast. A lot to do. And right. I imagine sitting in a chair as a seven and drinking a cup of coffee was beyond my comprehension. Right. 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 <laughs> but Daddy's the same way as you. I so know. I, I, I know. We drank it. coffee together. Yeah. 
So as a defensive strategy, planning for the future along the lines of contingency options is intended to enhance life's pleasures by eliminating the problems of boredom and pain. Do you feel like you have contingency plans? Do you have backup plans? Do you think of ways in which, like, well, if this doesn't work out, we'll do this? I have and if plan B, C, and D. You do all the time? I have so many things I would like to do or want to do. If the first one doesn't work out, I've got several many others. other options. Yeah. I've okay. never been bored one, right. one minute in my life. Right. And I think you, and gave, I, you gave me that, too. And I entertain myself. I don't have mm -hmm. to have any kind of screen. Right. And so I think that's really um, what Rachel and I enjoy talking about is how screens feel like the opposite of freedom to her. And, and, my, and then PCOR, who you know is also a seven, she never gets on her phone either. And uh, I think that's really interesting because I, I think you could imagine a seven being on Instagram all the time, right? But, and probably there are some who are, I don't know. But I think it's interesting that sevens see screens mm -hmm. as a way of being trapped. And that's, that's healthy. I think given what we now know about our brains and screens, sevens, it's almost like y'all knew subconsciously that that was um, a tool that would shatter your focus even further. Well, now I have to admit I am on the phone. I'm on the phone more than I probably should be, but I'm on the phone with relationships, with people and write them back and texting them back and sending yeah. them a little message and send them a little love. It's my way of, I have a text ministry, I say. Yeah. It's the way I love other people. So I like people. So when they're far away or not in my vision, mm -hmm. I like to, it's TV that I I'm really don't ever sit down and look at ever. And when I do sit down with daddy and watch the news and it's all negative, I think, and it's all rep repetitive, I think. That's really wasting your time to sit there and listen to bad things. Mm -hmm. So that's not fun for seven. It's not fun to listen to the news. Right. So we're out of there. Yeah, except I have some sevens who, I mean, like Rachel, for example, I think reads the New York Times every day and, and, and knows all the things that are going on politically. And so that interests her a lot. What were we talking about before the news? Screens. So I'm like, so if, do you think that texting love notes to your friends who are far away feels safer sometimes than being with the person that's in the room? Like, do you think you ever, that that's an escape? Like, sevens are always looking for <clears throat> escape hatches. Can texting and being present and cute and supportive of people who are very far away feel like an escape hatch from the reality that's in front of you. Well, this is a, a real good friend of mine. One time recently in the last maybe five or six years, and we've been friends for a long time, she said to me, Mary Elizabeth, you use your camera right. to hide behind. Right. And you are really shy. You, you're yeah, aggressive, you're so but shy. you're really shy. You're aggressive, but you're really shy. And so, and so, when you said more comfortable to be on text and maybe being with the people, uh -huh. yes, I think you're it's more just, you're more comfortable texting and doing dishes at a party and 
being behind the camera and taking pictures of things that please you. It's like it gives you a role. An escape. It is an escape. An escape and a role, maybe too. Yeah. Right? Maybe so. Um, but I laughed. But like, do you? I laughed you when she said it, and then I thought, and then the, then I have a hearing disability, so I can't hear a lot of things if there's a lot of people in a right. party. So in a big group, yeah, I like to get the camera and just go around and take pictures. Right. So it's real funny. It is an escape. Yeah. But, but it's, it's also it's shy. Totally, it's shyness and the hearing. I think. Right. Right. And see, most people would turn to alcohol, but you never did that. You know, right, right. So I, I guess <laughs> camera, camera might be better. <laughs> um, okay, she does a whole chapter on how threes and sevens look alike in a lot of ways, but I'm not going to read that. We grow so I think we're both aggressive. Yeah, and I think um, I think we could get mixed up because as a three is interested in their image. I'm real interested in beauty, and that sometimes looks like I'm narcissistic or interested in my image, but it's not that. It's that I just like beauty all around me, and anything beautiful I real turn to. Yeah, no, I think your preoccupation with beauty lies more in the idealism triad tri of one, four, seven. So ones, fours, and sevens are all trying to make the world more beautiful, more ideal in their mind. And so they're always optimizing. Is that why we're in the harmony triangle? The, yeah, it's a harmony triangle, and we're in there together as idealizers. Right. And so, like for me, that's definitely, I'm always trying to make my world more beautiful um, and not, and it's, it doesn't feel material to me. It feels spiritual. It feels right. so... Um, it feels like it saves me and it saves other people. And you can feel that when you're in a beautiful space or you are encountered, you encounter a beautiful piece of music or some, a, a poem is read to you that stops you in your tracks. Um, beauty saves every day. And like John O'Donohue talks about like beauty is a spiritual tool. Right. Um, so and I, I think it affects my heart more than anything. I think you know other people say you know we don't have a we're not feeling people. Beauty I feel when I'm around beauty. Beauty might be I like a way it. in which you are trying to have a conversation with your own heart. That's right. And maybe beauty feels safer than what your heart might be saying. You know, like I think, I think that's true for me too. Like I said, uh, somebody said to me one time, let's see what I want to say, that sometimes I think my, my obsession with beauty can be something, not that I hide behind, but that makes me feel, it makes me feel safe, that I feel safe. In beauty, which is strange, but true. And that definition of beauty is different for everybody, but you know it when you feel it. Right. But I like the idea of beauty being a seven's 
language, like it's a language for your heart, you know, that is, I mean, I think it can be an escape, but I think it doesn't have to be an escape. I think some people, I think it can be, so I think like Russ Hudson's word for seven is optimizing thrust. So I think there can be a thrust, an optimizing thrust towards beauty that is tips over into overindulgence, over consumerism, mm-hmm. excess, mm-hmm. right? Gluttony is, is your passion. So I think there's a, the optimizing thrust, I think is like the core of y'all's personality. And I think when people, think sevens are aggressive and too much or whatever they want to say about a seven. What I think I'll always remember about you is that you have an optimizing thrust for the world to be, for you to be better, the world to be better, and for everybody to be better. Right. And it and really has nothing to do with money or materialism right. thing or a beautiful car or anything materialistic. It's just something I feel like it touches my heart. So that's beauty. Whether right. it's poetry. Right. Yeah. And so I think where where the seven falls off is in that drive to make the world a better place. They can lose sight of somebody else having a different idea of what is is best. Or they can do it so much that it becomes excessive and it does tip over into gluttony. So, and so I think it's about just knowing where the difference is. And one has to be aware of like, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is all optimizing thrusts need to have a check, right? Um, somebody needs to, there needs to be, if you're either you or someone in your life has to say, Okay, you know, mom, you have too many bottles of olive oil in the pantry. Right, right. That was a good example. Yeah. That. Um. So, uh, we're gonna pour some of them out, or we're gonna go give them to somebody. Um. But that's like a dumb example. But I think that has to be. That has to be. Oh, that's because the most, optimizing thrust can't just always be ever expanding optimizing thrust. Right, and we because right. we think more is better, and because right. we think we don't want to run out of anything. Right, we have this tendency to keep keep on keeping on and not and not have boundaries and limits right. and not check it out and look in the pantry and say you've got too many of those things. Right. So I know that's a real bad habit. So. And I wonder if this is true of any sevens, um, possibly. But I think for some people, having a lot of stuff does not feel like freedom. So for like a five, for example, having too much stuff makes them feel unfree. But for a seven, having too much stuff doesn't seem to ever make them feel unfree. Mm-mm. Isn't that funny? That's I mean, real I, funny. I think... <clears throat> Like freedom is a preoccupation with a seven, but it's a very it's a very specific definition of what that means. I mean, it's it's your definition of freedom, and so I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like your definition of freedom does not seem to 
bump up against being late at parties and not doing what you're going to say you do. But for most sevens, I know it does. Especially sexual sevens. And on you and I have had this discussion before about the difference in sexual and, and uh, social. And, and you are sure I'm a social seven. Well, and, I'm not sure. I'm not, and, I'm no, wanna... no, and I've been sure up until lately. And I've told you <laughs> the reason I think I'm... And it has nothing to do with sevens. I think since I don't hear well, I love one-on-ones. So I gravitate to that more than anything, uh, intentionally. I don't like yeah. big crowds. I don't like more than four people at a table. I, I like a small group. Right. So that feels more like a sexual seven, but I don't think it was my nature to begin with. Yeah. But I think this, I'm moving toward that, and it feels more comfortable. Right, but that could also be, like, self-preserving. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think... I think sometimes the one-on-one definition of sexual can be pretty confusing. And honestly, it was always really confusing to me because sexual... It was always discussed as, like, me roving around looking for my one true mate and, like, wanting to just be with Nathaniel all the time and him being my one person, my one true love and all that stuff. And it never, I never related to that. So that kept me from realizing all the ways in which I am sexual. Um, so I think like what Russ Hudson says is it doesn't mean like your dominant instinct doesn't mean that you're good at it. It just means you're preoccupied with it. So that's really helpful to, to hear. That's because, really good. Because you can be very self-preserving, for example, and be doing all kinds of things that are not helpful to your own health. And, you know, because you're so preoccupied with your comfort and your preservation that you actually are doing things that are not helpful to your health. So I think that's a really important distinction. And I think the one-on-one -on -one thing can be confusing. I like to call it a plug looking for a socket or uh, that's good. somebody who's always looking for the juice. That's interesting. Well, I've never thought about somebody self-preserving. I've never thought about them. They wanted to be confident and things be good, but they don't take care of themselves. I would have never thought of that. Yeah, no, it's very true. That's so they, it, I think it could go either way, but I, it's really helped me for Russ to say that. That doesn't mean you're good at it. It just means you're preoccupied with it. Yeah, that's very fascinating. Yeah. 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 Um, so I don't, but I don't know what your instinct is. Rachel really wants you to take an instinct test and get back to her. <laughs> she's, she's dying to is know. Is there such a thing as an instinct? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think Russ Hudson has a, or maybe, no, maybe it's Beatrice Chestnut has an instinct test you can take online. She like, Rachel literally made me take it and I took it and I was like, yeah, I mean, it was correct, but oh, I already well, knew that's, what that's, it was. That'll be something fun to do in the future because I, I think my, in, I go on my instincts and I've trusted them always. I feel like they're pretty good. Yeah, you 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 believe in your instincts. I believe in them. That's what I said. <laughs> I trust them. I said I trust them. That's the same. You trust thing. them, but I'm I'm saying like it can be unreliable. You trusting your instincts 
often when they go wrong is because you desire to feel comfortable and happy and you want somebody to be good. So you can be sitting there with someone who's not good and you believe they're good and you believe that instinct that they're good and you're not right in that moment because that person is not good. So now I want to see the goodness in everybody. You want to see the goodness in everybody and that doesn't always serve you well. It can serve it can serve you well. It can really serve you. I mean it's wonderful to like I think it's better to go through life wanting to see the best in people than say me as a four going through life seeing what's wrong with the situation mm-hmm. or like a one seeing what's wrong with the situation, you know. So I think it's really positive. Again, I like the word optimizing thrust. (laughs) I love that so much. Um, But like it's, it's, again, it's like where does that get checked? So where does this belief in your own reality and in, in that, that all things are good, when does that get checked when things are not good and when things are not true? And so when, when a seven is making a beautiful world and expanding out into the world, creating the reality, when does that, when does that get checked? And I think in general, where sevens fall down for, for other people is that they, when those, when those energies are checked they just don't listen to them they like nathaniel's word for sevens is unassailable which i think is great unassailable unassailable like like we should look up the definition of unassailable (laughs) i think it's a really good word for a seven unable to be attacked questioned or defeated Oh, that's really true. That is really true. So we need to write that down. Unable to be attacked, questioned, or defeated. Yeah. That, Nathaniel a, came up with that. It's okay, pre- well, you need to put that in the books. We need to write that definition down because that is so true. It's so true. Uh, but I but think... So, but you can see <coughs> how think, if you're unable to be attacked, or as I would say, unable to be edited, okay. then that creates a problem. Right, but but on the goodness note, yeah, let's go back the, let's, to the goodness. Of course, of course, let's, let's go, go back, back to, to the goodness. Of course, uh, <laughs> what bothers me every day, yes, is being with somebody that picks out one bad thing mm-hmm. about a person or event or a thing going on when there's ninety nine percent good. I, I, yeah, I, I want to get and run away from them. I'm right, not, but I mean, I think. Okay, but here's 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 where I'm going to challenge you. I think when there's somebody in your life that's not doing something how you want it to be done, then you see that thing that they're not doing that you want them to do, which feels like criticism. But you don't even see it as criticism because you feel the unassailability of your opinion. Like you, you're like, I believe in my vision. I believe in what this person needs to be doing, looking like, thinking, and saying. 
And if they're not doing it, I'm going to criticize that. And it's not even criticism because this is just how things should be. Right? Right. So I think there's, there's like places where... I guess the only reason I say that is because I agree with you that you don't like people to be negative, but I think sevens maybe don't realize when they are being negative. In fact, sevens really are. That That's why, like, PCOR does not like the definition of y'all being, like, happy-go-lucky and super fun and all that stuff, because sevens can be unfun, you know? And so I think it's too easy to say they're fun. They want things to be fun, but they're, dis- they're, their way of going about fun is not always fun, right? Yeah, probably so, <laughs> but the rest of the people. <laughs> anyway, they remember their childhood as being kind of perfect and good and all that. You, I think that's so true for yeah. you. You don't have any recollection of anything bad happening. Never. I don't ever, I mean, but I think time. our generation, I think we've talked about it. People my age, we don't remember ever being worried about school, going to college, getting a job. We don't remember ever worrying about anything because we never had to worry because everything fell in our laps. And it was a generation where we, we I don't know, I don't, we don't know, we can't explain it. Y'all, now there's so many frightening things and so many scary things and so many uncertain things. Mm-hmm. The children could not feel like that, possibly. But most people my age feel like we think back in high school and college and we don't remember ever yeah. having negative, worrying feelings. But I think, you know, I think also that's our privilege, too, that it's, you know, white people basically that right yeah right i think if you talk to somebody your generation who was not white they probably wouldn't be able they probably wouldn't agree with it right i don't know i think and generally speaking life was easy across the board because there weren't any big things bad going on i think there were big things bad going on though i mean we know that there were big things bad going on like, when were you born? You were born in... 43. Yeah. So, big, the bad war, things have been going on. War, war was going <laughs> Very on. Very big and bad things were going on. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so I, I actually don't... Again, I don't think it's about... I mean, I agree with you that things seem very complex now with the state of our climate crisis and with the internet and Putin and Trump and like, I mean, I, I agree with you that things are like the polarity Scary. of opinions uh, <clears throat> that people have has driven people into camps of feeling uh, very opinionated and hateful and it doesn't feel unified. And I think that's very scary and I, I do think in my in my whole life I have never felt like oh you know like until the last several years I would say did I feel like things were so dire um, yeah, right. as they are now right um, even but, but I don't think that's a I I don't I I think that 
I guess what I'm saying is things have felt easy for you and it's probably also Seven's personality to look back on life and say, oh, it was all glorious and maybe have some uh, nostalgia about how I wish things were simpler, you know, but... Um, uh, I think, I guess what you're saying now is that because of COVID and because of climate, etc., you feel like you can't reframe that anymore. Like, do you feel like as a seven, you cannot reframe that reality? That's exactly right. Yeah. It's out there everywhere. Yeah. And it's on the news all the whole 24 hours a right. day. Nothing but bad things. So, you know, so no, I think. It's realistic and it, it's the truth, and we have to face it. That things are are harder now, more complex, more uncertain. I think the uncertainty, uncertain. and I think the hate element is there's something new. I don't remember even ten years ago people hating each other because of the way somebody believed a political person. I don't remember hate right. much more than ten years ago. Well, maybe maybe five years ago. I just don't remember it. And I would say that our feeling, our perception that hate is feels new, is the result of a mirror being held up to us. And we didn't have to look into that mirror before. Um, we could avoid looking into that mirror because... There were these layers of what seemed like gentility, what seemed like nostalgia, what seemed like simplicity was not true. It was, or you could say it was true, but it was built on something that was the opposite of gentility. It was built on oppression. So I think these, I think these systems of that make things look simple um, are easy. They're seductive, possibly, possibly more seductive to sevens. I don't know if that's true, but I think that social media is is maybe that new piece that we could talk about. Social media is giving us tons and tons and tons of information every day and it's exposing a lot of hatred and so I think it can I think that's that is a piece of it I mean I think that book I was telling you about that I read called uh, Stolen Focus again talks about how the way the engines are developed in, for Instagram and YouTube and Twitter are designed to um, create extremes in people so you're you click on something it takes you over here and then you click on something it takes you over here so the the engines of these of social media is designed to indoctrinate extremism in the world in our personalities and so that's just literally what's happening what's happening and so that's completely frightening um so yeah i mean i don't I don't, it must feel pretty bizarre to be 
your age and a seven in a world like this? Yeah, kind of lost. I mean, you know, certainly a lot of the joy is lost. Yeah. And certainly so much more fear and worry. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it's realistic, so, I mean, I have to be realistic. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there again, that's when we turn to beauty and poetry, and that's how we get you know, can find the goodness again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a spiritual thing. We have to go find it yeah. more than we used to, I think. I mean, we have to work on it. Yeah, no, I think I think that's true. I think um, kind of... That is where the goodness is. Yeah, to find the ways in which we're all Connected. humans on this planet and, 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 and we're all on this planet. I was saying to Nathaniel, just driving here in all the billboards that I don't like seeing and the highways and the fast food restaurants and everything that feels um, not respectful of, of earth to me. Like what if, what if our politics were driven where, or what if God and our belief in God was synonymous with our belief and respect for earth and, and every single political decision financial decision we made had to be for the good of God slash earth then imagine where we'd be today and God slash people all the people yes but I think we've talked ourselves into separating earth from people or God earth from people. And so we think, oh, well, we do this for the, you know, do- the bottom line is the dollar. We have a capitalistic, you know, world and we want to make money and we want to have power and we believe that's good for us. Right? But it's just, I don't know. We're going off on a tangent that has nothing to do with the Enneagram or sevens. <laughs> Except that it does, I'm sure. Um, okay. So I guess like we were talking about how there's a buoyant conviction that life is unlimited. And so I guess what we're saying is that that has been tested. Right? Um, I do think our imagination makes us feel like things are unlim- unlimited. Right. Yeah. We always imagine something else wonderful that's right. going to happen tomorrow. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's fun to have imagination. It's, it's fun to have imagination. It's fun to have lots of options. Yes. Yeah. 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 You never feel stuck. Right. Um Sevens would rather brainstorm than be limited by the drudgery of work. Um, Their fear of being seen is hidden from themselves by charming talk and a pleasant style. There is a fear of going too deeply into any one thing, which is masked by a fascination of many things. The attraction to pleasure is seen as a positive flow, when in fact it masks a flight away from pain. Okay, well, <clears throat> you've you've heard me say this before, but I'm never, when you when you would, if you had told me ten years ago, mm-hmm. 
that I was going to enjoy being with pain, enjoy being with sad people, enjoy that, and that had become my ministry. Mm-hmm. And not until I had cancer did I understand that. So that's a pretty bad thing to say that it had to have be something that bad. But for me now, that's what I look more forward to than anything is being with the sad, the lonely, the afraid, the, the scared, the uncertain people with the health, that's what I do every day. And that's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. So that is the biggest change in me, but it's not a seven thing. It was more like it fell into my life that that was mine to do. Mm-hmm. So and it feels like a mission for you. I felt like I was called to it, and, and I feel... I, I mean, I like going with people and talking to them when they're about to die. I like talking to them, mm-hmm. and I like uh, discussing it with them. And it never scared me. And I do it on the phone to people long distance out of town. I do it uh, weekly. I talk to well, them. Well, I think like one of the blessings of being aggressive is that you don't overthink your reaction to life. And so I, that, that's like a blessing and a curse, right? So in not overthinking your reaction to life, things don't always work out, right? But in not overthinking your reaction to life, there are many moments, and this is one of my favorite things you taught me, is that when you hear that somebody's husband died or when you hear that their child is sick or when you hear that somebody's, you know, brother went to rehab or whatever, you know, you always, without thinking, you just called or did something. Oh, went. You went or you did something Mm -hmm. immediately. And I think that's so important. And there's no replacement for it. There's no replacement for it. It's called showing up. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's a... it's a ministry to it. It's just that's you don't have to say anything, you don't have to take any food. You just show up. But I mean, so that's a gift. That is a gift of aggression because I think like the rest of us, particularly withdrawing numbers, are gonna like. Should I go? Yeah. Maybe they've got a lot of people over there right now. Maybe I should wait a week. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should all that, all that stuff that is irrelevant. Really, it's totally irrelevant. Um, so I think that's like what you do really well is you just, you kind of like, you know, you can, you bulldoze through life, whether it's thick or thin. And so when things are really treacherous and, and, and scary, you, you're still bulldozing. And sometimes that's what people need. So. I found it to be true because they keep saying like, you know, like when their husband was like the day before they're going to be buried, mm-hmm. I start sending them things. And they write me back and say, keep sending me though. Yeah. That's comforting me. Yeah. And then they tell me at the funeral not to stop. Yeah. So that's showing up without me going. But I think people at those real hard times, they, they need something to hold on to. And it's not necessarily a person. It may be just a, you know, a wonderful word or... Yeah. Or like the day Daphne died, mm-hmm. Rachel, who's a seven, came over and 
we started talking about like how, how what Daphne liked to cook and the way she was such a good cook and how Nathaniel and Daphne had started this cookbook and they had worked on it for years and years and years, but they never finished it. And so Rachel's like, let's cook from it right now. And so she like went and got groceries and came back over to the house and we made an entire massive dinner. Like she had died uh, that morning and we sat down in the dining room and ate every recipe that like Daphne had made up. See that's such a way of honoring her. Totally and it was also it gave us all a way to be respectful and with Daphne and be with the grief while also celebrating her and doing something and then kind of like consoling each other and so like that's seven that's a gift of a seven right there and you really taught me that I mean, I think sometimes I fall down because I'm a four and I'm too withdrawing and I overthink things too much. But what I do try to do is the minute I hear something bad, I just go into it. And it's funny because you would not, I think a lot of sevens avoid it. So you learn that. Uh, or, I mean, I wonder too if like, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of sevens who just avoid bad things, and they don't go into it, so I don't know how you manage to... Well, I think it was I was around more people that were hurting than I were that were happy. Yeah. I, all of a sudden, I had a lot of cancer friends, and I was with them. We started that group, and so I was with them, and I was aware of them, but I, I minister... I mean, he says it's a, a ministry of just showing up is all we have to do in life. To, yeah. And all the other thing is love the person right in front of us. Well, that's very spiritual, and so that is just two things. If that's all we have to do, that's really doable. For even the withdrawing stance, I mean, that's that, yeah. that's just two things we have to do. And so the showing up. And Daddy taught me this is the gift of touch. You don't say anything to the people because they don't remember anything anybody says at funerals. No, you do not remember say. a thing. But say. people remember when you put your hand on their shoulder or give them a hug or squeeze their hand. Yeah. That it's a touch, and that's that's better than saying anything. Yeah. And that that takes a lot of learning, but it's so easy. It's a lot mm -hmm. better than saying something. Right. Such easier to hug somebody than it is to say something. They don't need any words. But no. that's why I like that the ministry of text is because when they want to read it, they can read it. And yeah. when they need to feel love coming through the text, they can read it and yeah. reread it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, as long as you're not, as long as you're not avoiding what's in front of you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Avoid what? Like, as long as you're not avoiding what's happening in the room with you when you're texting these people, Right. I think that can be a crutch for seven. Like the phone can be, a, like we were saying earlier with the camera and the dishes, it can be a way to hide. Even though you are, quote, offering a blessing to someone else yeah. out there in the planet. Right. Yeah. It's a way to hide in your own life, in that own present place. And we all do that. I mean, I think the Enneagram is a, shows us the ways in which we hide from our own life and our Mm -hmm. So, I'm not, you know, we're not just talking, we're talking with everybody. 
Um, the attraction to high levels of stimulation can be used for escapist purposes, but also motivates intellectual curiosity and creative search. Yes. Um, the pain of narcissists is that they may be unveiled as less than what they believe themselves to be. There is an inner question, where do I stand? Am I better than who I find myself with or am I really worse? Who stands higher here? Is it me or is it my friend? In pathology, the answer is always, I stand higher. For sevens who are working on themselves, the question of comparative value is still alive in their thoughts but can be used as a reminder to pay attention to their objective capabilities. Um, so then this story of a seven says, my clue to my own narcissism is when I start to look down on a friend. It takes on quite insidious forms. I forgive them for being stupid, or I silently scold them for being wrong. Once the idea takes hold that I'm dealing with someone who can't keep up, I want to leave the room. I'm bored with what they're going to say, and they seem so predictable that I want to scream. Then I think, how small-minded, how lacking in breadth, or I'll bury their objection with two or three arguments from an opposite point of view. When they seem particularly stupid and hopeless, I know enough to take another look. How could a good friend suddenly look that bad? How could I be contemptuous of someone who only yesterday seemed so smart? What comes up is that I'm not totally right. Then I must be totally off. And then I'm left with seeing them as really superior and myself as nothing in my own eyes. Self-worth can be inflated by chronic indulgence in the best things to do. Um, sevens line up activities back to back, leaving no time in between. So um, that's kind of Helen talking in that last paragraph. But I think... So Rachel and I got into a whole conversation that I thought was super interesting about seeing when someone hurts her, like when you're sitting there with a friend and you suddenly feel triggered by them or you think they're stupid or boring or whatever. Rachel says that she has to see them as a whole person and like what they did for her when she was younger, what they did in the past, and how she can hold on to that in the present tense. It allows her to not run away from what is bothering her in the moment. And we were talking about how that goes both ways for sevens. Like they can, instead of seeing the person in their entirety, they can see only the positive in the present and forget all the negative. Or they can see only the positive, only the negative in the present and forget their other positive feelings about the person. Does that resonate right. with you? Right. Yeah, I think that I think narcissism is any time when you think of the other people, other people, unlike you, not as good as you. Our minister said, the worst thing we do is think about those other people and put them down. You know, they're not like us. Mm -hmm. They they different from us. They think like a, a not to think of other people because we're all the same. Right. So that, there is no other. There is no other. And right. that, that really has helped me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not to think I'm better than them or I have it together better than them. Well, I've always um, said uh, that one of my favorite things about you is you're not a snob. So I don't, I've never felt like 
you thought you were better than anybody. I just think you thought you were right. That's that's right. Yeah. Th- that's correct. I've never thought you. You've never, I never thought, thought you were better. I than never anybody. thought I was better than anybody. But you just I thought did. you were right. Yeah, and that's a different. And, and Madeline Lingle, <laughs> Madeline Lingle out at Laity Lodge one time said this: "No virtue in being right." right. Yeah. So the what thing we're supposed to do is find our truth, and what's right for you is not right for me. But we only thing our job is to do is to find our own truth. Right, so, but here's, here's where I think there might be a pratfall in that, is that you, if a seven finds their own truth, and then they believe in it, and they have that optimizing thrust mm-hmm. in life, then they, whether they realize it or not, are putting their, quote, own truth out into all the... Yeah. And so, one's own truth is always in, relationship to someone else's own truth and I think I I guess like as a four and I talked about this a little bit last time is that my desire to be special can really really um, there can be a lot of energy about understanding what my own truth is like I'm pretty involved with what my own truth is and so that Allow that allow it gives me an excuse to not have my how do I want to say this like I guess the like one's own truth almost stands side by side to not needing to have one's own truth you know what I mean like the more I'm attached to my own truth then the more I I'm seeing myself as separate. So it's like going back to the unity and everybody being together and there being no other. My truth should never stand as superior to other people. Superior in opposition to or intrude on someone else's truth or disrespect someone else's truth and I think that's so tricky like how because I do think you know as Nathaniel says well you have to stand for something too you can't when I say that and I'm not saying you don't stand for things like one stands for things and sevens of course have no trouble standing for things but I guess what I'm saying is that it would be easy to say well I'm gonna have my own truth and kind of believe in the correctness of that while simultaneously maybe running over someone else's truth without even realizing it. Right. But I think if you, if what's truth for me might not be truth for you. We, right. we remind ourselves of that. Right. We don't feel like they're the other. Right. It's so, it, which I think that requires conversation. It requires patience. It requires us sitting down and saying, hey, this is what feels true to me. And then you saying, this is what feels true to me. Mm-hmm. And then we have to be willing to like... Trust that that... Yeah, that yeah. all that's okay. That yes. That's going to work out. Right. And that, yeah. And so I think that's part of the problem with our with the world, the way we're talking about it, is that that's not happening. Like those conversations are not mm-hmm. happening. Um. Anyway, uh, I think it has to be real intentional every day. 
not to think that your truth was the only truth. Yeah. Or that your opinions were the only opinions. Right. That they just are working for you right, right now. Right. They might need to change next year. Yeah, or tomorrow, or in five minutes. Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> um, <laughs> the reality is that sevens are fear types who move forward into pleasant contact as a way of disarming authority's control. They will usually become fiercely anti-authoritarian if their freedoms are curtailed in any way. The power of a petty authority is automatically minimized. Sevens will assume that they can talk their way around anybody who happens to get in the way. I don't know about all that authority piece, but I think, I mean, authority and seven, it's a complicated thing, but, um, I do think they assume they can talk anyway into their way of seeing things or who gets in their way. We're real good at it. Yeah, you're real good at it. And we don't stop till you listen. <laughs> right, right. And Suzanne always... Yeah, so that's in your face. Yeah, so see, like that's... We don't stop until you listen is a little bit different from saying I'm standing in my truth and you're standing in yours. And let's like coexist with that... Right. All of that nuance. Um, they will stay with positive alternatives without shifting into doubt and are particularly good when a project is in the idea stage. They align a project's purposes and goals with other theoretical positions. Well, I don't, I don't want to get into that, but basically you're, you're idea people and not so much uh, follow-through people. Right? Right. Um, well, we, we have so many ideas because we're in the head triangle. We're thinking, thinking, thinking. So yeah. that's why we've got lots of ideas. We can't help it. We even. I've, I've, but, but here's the thing. Here's what, and I said this to Rachel too. It's not just that you're in the head triad and thinking, thinking, thinking. It's that you're in the head triad and you're in the okay. idealized harmony triad. So you're in your head thinking about how to make the world better. So that's those right. two things together make you. Uh, Seem like I think I'm right. Oh, well, but in a, in a more positive way, have lots of ideas and be have just have lots of solutions and ideas and right. uh, options, right? Right. Because um, I mean, fives and sixes in the head triad. I mean, I do think sixes are super creative, and they've like uh, they have to get they have to work on their fear to to like optimize their creativity, but because sevens are in the head triad and aggressive and in the idealizing triangle that creates like this perfect storm for for having just ideas all the time and um and, and uh, futurists is what rachel and i were talking about there's a whole world of people out there called futurists well i talk to a, a lot of i mean it, it bothers me so much that i dream 20 i mean i'm as soon as i go to sleep i dream mm -hmm. if i get up and come to the bathroom i go to the second chapter of the dream and the third chapter it could be a book Do you every, write them down every morning I, it's a book not just the two chapters but five chapters and they're related mm -hmm. and so it drives me crazy that i never stop thinking i think my mind thinks when i'm asleep and that yeah. is weird feeling. You mean it kind of you feel exhausted? 
Yeah, it's kind of exhausting. I mean, I think, why don't, why don't you mind, why don't you just quiet your mind and not let it work? I mm-hmm. wish there was a button you could turn your mind off. Well, that's what it, meditation is about. Yeah, I know that. But mm-hmm. he, but I'm saying, it, usually, I mean, quiet meditation, but if I read, that's thinking. You know, if I pray, that's thinking. So most things in meditation, unless you just quiet and close your eyes and don't try not to think. Does that work for you? No. Yeah. No, because it, no. So I've written, I've written on this big sheet of paper, be quiet, be still. And I mean, you know, it's the ultimate goal of a seven, to, to be, be quiet still. and still. Both. Yeah, slow down. Yeah. 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 But I, I mean, just the fact that, I mean, I hate that I dream all night long. It's, yeah, wake I up wish exhausted. I dreamed all night long. I've never not dreamed. I don't remember mine. I remember every chapter. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Sevens give other people freedom so that they can get away with a lot, but then Rachel and I were talking about how maybe social sevens don't do that. And so I don't know if I can prove all that, but I don't think you're... Like we were talking about how there's two kinds of sevens. Sevens who want everybody to get away with everything so that they can also get away with everything or they're critical of everything they're seeing that's not how they think it needs to be and so I feel like you're more the latter where you're seeing how things need to be improved upon and you're seeing what needs to happen and how people need to behave and how things need to go and you have standards like you don't want people to get away with stuff I just feel like sometimes my, I have a little helpful advice. <laughs> like, I mean, I have a friend that has three cars right now, and, and she's keeping them all, and, and, and first of all, they're all gasoline engines, and they're not going to be for sale much longer. Uh-huh. And so I don't understand why she wouldn't sell those cars. I know that's critical, but it doesn't make a bit of sense to me. She lives by herself, and she has three cars. But, like, it's interesting that you're even thinking about it. It's just odd as it can be. Right. It's so, not mine to think about. It's not yours to think about. Right. Um, but, so, I think that's part of the optimizing thrust. It's It has a positive aspect in that you have all kinds of ideas for other people. And it has a negative possibility in that you have all kinds of ideas for other people. That's not, not my business, right? Right. right. We love like, it. We love it when we like your idea, and we don't love it when we don't like your idea. Right. Right. Um, future events are savored mentally as sweet images that become as tangible and believable as tables and chairs. For example, the best part of a meal is often before the food is served because all the delicious combinations can be tasted with the mind. That's so true, and I'm always disappointed. It's never quite hot enough, or it's not exactly like I imagined it. Right, but I think I think the whole meal metaphor is great for everything for seven. Like every event is not as good when it's happening as your anticipation of it. Right, every mm-hmm. moment in life is not as good as your anticipation mm-hmm. of it. So anticipation is your preferred state of being exactly yeah yeah and we have all kind of great ideas in it 
Yeah. And you used, to, you used to always say you always thought appetizers were better than all the other courses at a restaurant. And I'm like, it's not that they're better. It's just that that's the beginning of the meal and you're in a, you're, <laughs> you're just like in a better place with it at that point. You know, mm-hmm. by the time we get to our entree, you're kind of ready to move on. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> That's still true. But, I always like the appetizer best. Right, but it's not because I've it's I've got like now I just ordered the appetizer and it works better. Okay, that's good. Okay, if a problem surfaces, activities can be sandwiched so closely together that there is no time to talk over the issue. Vital things to do can be booked so closely together that a seven will have ten minutes to discuss our separation before I leave to catch a plane. Confrontation and recrimination are hard for sevens because of the implication that they have failed. There's the desire to put serious talks on the schedule and then close the slot by switching to alternate plans, yes. In a sense, sevens do not live in real life relationships because their minds are so easily flooded with the mental associations and imaginative ideas that their relationships suggest. one side, of the fact, one side effect of the fact that sevens can so easily replace negative feelings with a pleasant option is that they often have difficulty with emotionally dependent or needy people. So I'm interested in a couple of things. One is the sandwiching. Like I definitely notice when there's a confrontation with a seven, they figure out how to they figure out how to give as little time and energy to that confrontation as possible, right? That whether they physically sandwich it, like make it where it's not, there's no time for it, you know, and you have to move on. Like, do you feel that way that you try to avoid them and have other things in life come up so that you don't have to have the confrontation? Oh. I'm not afraid of competition. I, I just, uh, I don't prefer it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well. I mean, I, I, I can do confrontation much better than Daddy can. I mean, Daddy can't stand it, so what I yeah. can do it, but uh, I want everybody to be happy at the end. So yeah. that's where the seven kicks in. And that's, and it, yeah, and it doesn't always work out that way. No, it doesn't ever. Um, but what do you think about like this whole idea of like relationships being kind of a, an idea like you have an idea of what a relationship is more than a, like actually it, it being a real thing like living into symbols and living into concepts living into archetypes living into like an idea of what a mother-daughter relationship should be, for example, or a, a happily married woman, what that should be, what that marriage should look like or feel like, or what a, a you know your relationship with your sister should look like or feel like, and kind of getting caught in the romantic concept mm-hmm. of it versus what's actually going on in that moment. I think we tend to idealize it, and we tend to think it's a maybe better than it is or we we like to dream that it's so uh, wonderful yeah 
I mean, we like to pretend. Yeah. And so we don't want to see the bad, and we want the, all the relationships to be happy, so we probably deny, deny a lot that maybe the other person. I mean, do you remember when you went back to one of my class reunions, you and Todd and Brad? It was one of my class reunions in high school, and we got in the car, and you said to me, as a very young child, Mother, do you realize you were more glad to see everybody than they were to see you? Oh. Are you sure I said that? You, I, you said it, and I was never so shocked because it never occurred to me mm. that they wasn't equally thrilled to see me. Never mm. did it occur to me. Mm. No, I thought it was insightful to you. I think I was probably more enthusiastic and well, peppy than they that's were. That's part of your... Uh, gift though as well you're being really excited to see people makes people more excited to be around you know you it's contagious yeah I mean I think there's again there's two sides to it so the, the good side of being overly excited and maybe not overthinking it and just being excited to see somebody means that you're kind of just set the tone for happier possibilities, right? Right. So that, again, the trick comes in not, so being enthusiastic and excited to see the person while also being present to the reality in front of you. Like is, I mean, I'm not even sure that's possible, but I think it's like, again, it's the editor. So. Like sevens, I think they need an editor, basically. And I think um, be bring the energy, bring the enthusiasm, right? Why not? Like that's a good, positive, wonderful thing to do. But then bring the um, some discernment to the present tense along so that you can... And some of that comes with slowing down. So when a seven slows down, the discernment of the response in the room and what's actually happening, I think automatically, hopefully automatically comes up when a seven slows down, do you think? Probably. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. You probably could slow down without realizing it, but I think probably slowing it, it down needs helps to, you realize it. I need it. to have a red flag right there to say, slow down. Yeah. It doesn't really come naturally. No, and I don't think that you can tell a seven to slow down. Right? I mean, that's never worked for me to tell a seven to slow down. It's like when someone tells me as a four to cheer up. Yeah. I want to kill them. Yeah, you can't help the emotions. Right. And I can't help the speed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. We can stop there. Do you have anything else you want to say? I think we've done amazingly uh, fun yeah. together. Yeah. It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. No, it's not too hard. It says, what seven should be aware of? Should we go through her yes, list? Yes, maybe end that with that. Um, seven should be aware that some of the following issues are likely to surface during change. Feeling bored with therapy. <laughs> 
That's funny because Rachel was talking about being bored with therapy. I'm like, I've never been bored in my life with therapy. Um, which can manifest itself as bringing, oh my God, feeling bored with therapy, which can manifest itself as bringing gifts, charming the therapist, deflecting attention to interesting intellectual pursuits. That's so funny. You've never been to a therapist. So I've <laughs> been to a physical therapist. A lot. <laughs> but um, that cracks me up. I wish I'd read that to Rachel. Um, she'll probably listen to this podcast and then we can talk about it. She loves... So, like, do you ever see bringing gifts to people as a way to kind of be avoidant? I know it just seems polite to you. Do you mean, like, manipulated? Uh, like I think twos are kind of manipulative, but I think I'm just sometimes I think running around and getting gifts for people is just a way to avoid. You're like looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay, anyway, feelings of superiority, looking down on the mildly ridiculous therapist, looking down on the pedestrian life. That feels very forged to me. Um Wanting to speed activities up when commitment issues arise. Feeling stuck and bored with commitment. Concern with inner hierarchies. Where do I stand? What's my place? What are the others seeing in me? Authority issues. Not wanting to be the boss. Not wanting to be under a boss. Guilt at having gotten away with so much. Wanting to leave therapy as soon as the presenting issue feels better. So, like, as soon as it feels a little bit better, you just kind of move on, right? And it's like, doesn't it exist like, anymore. It's like right, it doesn't exist. Right, right. We can forget everything. That's why we don't hold grudges. We don't remember it. We can we move on so quick, it's gone. Right. And it's it's always been, I've loved that about myself. People right. say, don't you remember she was so mean to you? I do not remember it. Right. It's gone. So right. that is part of why we have joy, because we don't mm-hmm. have a good memory on things like that. Next thing, faulty memory about negative past experiences. That's, that's 100%. Yeah. And so that doesn't, yes, it serves you in that you're not holding on to grudges, but it, and it, but I might but, act but, do the same thing again. Is that exactly? What like I mean, I really think that's true of you. You so want everybody to be good that you will believe they're good because just because they were nice to you for five minutes today, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll I, forget that they were not nice to you for uh, eight thousand minutes. Yeah, I give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt. I, I always have. I, yeah. I believe in the goodness, so I. Really, that's really a huge thing in my my psyche and my uh, virtues, I think. Yeah. And so I think what, and so like the fact that you want that for yourself and you want it for everybody, it, it does hold a space for people to live into it. You know, and I, I think like, David White, I think, said something like, you need to believe and hold hold up to a person what you see they can be so that they can believe it too. Right. And so I think that's like a seven's gift. Yes. 
And um, I think where it gets particularly where it doesn't work is when a seven is holding up a flag saying this is who you can be and that person is addicted to their suffering. So if the person is addicted to their suffering and doesn't want to change and doesn't want to let go of the ways that are keeping them where they are, then they're gonna they're really gonna not get along with that seven who's trying to optimize them because they they feel really committed to staying in that smaller place, right? Uh, yeah, I, and think, I, that, think, you know, I so think that's true. I think that's a, the ideal thing. So I think where it gets maybe where it gets tricky is when there are two people who have just different ideas of what health is, and it's like. A, a seven may say, well, this is your optimal path, and this person is like, no, I have a different optimal path, which actually is an optimal path for them. And so it gets tricky when the seven cannot see that it's that other person's optimal path. But I also think that said, um, my favorite thing about sevens is that they are holding that, they are, I, I think they're like the vision holders for us. They hold up who we can be and and I do think the world needs that right now you know so that's a wonderful thing to like about us yeah <laughs> but that but I do think we tend to think our way is right and that that, that what we're saying is right and their their path is their path right right so I think we probably shouldn't we have too many opinions yeah. And we say them too much. So, optimal, what's the word? The optimizing thrust. Thrust, okay. I love it. I love it too. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mom. Don't question my space time